Welcome back to our all new industry spotlight series on the Connection to Experience podcast. Rethinking education, three ways the CARES Act can support K through 12. The Coronavirus Aid, Relief and Economic Security Act was passed by Congress and signed into law on March 27, 2020. This over $2 trillion economic relief package brings over $13 billion earmarked for K-12 education across the country. I'm your host, Penny Conway. In today's third and final segment of our series, I continue my conversation with Pam Olick, where we talk about teachers being the new student. As we see millions of teachers teaching remotely while also being parents at home, we're asking the questions about what new skills will be required for teachers post-pandemic and the professional development they'll need to get them there. Nearly 99% of our students and teachers have turned their homes into classrooms. Now more than ever, we're all looking for the tools to accomplish the goal of distance learning. HP is here to help. We offer customized bundles that include everything from laptops, monitors, accessories, and printers with flexible payment options and warranty services. Let us help you improve your students' outcomes while protecting them with the world's most secure PC and printers. Contact your Connection account manager today or learn more at www.connection.com slash HP. We are happy to have you back here for our third and probably not final segment on how K-12 can leverage the CARES Act amongst everything going on with remote learning or distance learning. In our last two episodes, we covered how to build a plan for return that can be flexible between classroom and home. Last episode, we covered how to tackle accessibility and equality issues. And today's episode is super fun all around professional development and how teachers might be the new students. Uh, So Pam, happy to have you back on the podcast. For those who may have missed our first two episodes, why don't you go ahead and introduce your and what you do here at Connection and your amazing background. Great. Thank you for having me today. So my name is Pam Olick and I am the education strategist for K-12 here at Connection. I am an educator and spent 10 years um, in a very large district here in Florida, first as a teacher and then eventually managing their instructional technology programs, which included implementing devices, software, and as well as developing professional development programs. Excellent. So you are very excited, my guess is, to talk about professional development today. Absolutely. (laughs) And she was super excited to talk about our last topics, but professional development, especially uh, fun for someone who was really responsible for uh, managing the implementation, the instruction part of this. So let's kind of get right into it. Certainly over the past couple of months, lines have been blurred with distance learning teachers, let's face it, some teachers are also doubling as parents and teachers for their own kids that they don't normally teach. And parents themselves have become teachers of students at home. And so there is this crazy, what do we call it? Freaky Friday situation almost of who's the teacher and who's the student and who's the parent. So when you look at how the lines have blurred, what do you think has really come to light in terms of how prepared teachers were for a 
completely online learning situation and teaching situation? For me, the obvious thing that I've heard and what's common amongst teachers is that those who embraced technology and used it in their classroom for instruction were very well prepared for remote learning. And it was just simply turning it into a different format. Those teachers that kind of struggled with technology continued to struggle with technology and weren't really prepared to help their students with technology at home. And when you were doing, when you were actually instructing teachers to adopt technology and implement it in the classroom, what would you say was the percentage of adopters versus I'm not bringing technology into my classroom type of uh, attitude? What would you say the adoption rate was for technology? I'd say in general, anywhere between 50 to 60 percent. But it's important to remember that that number is really those people who were embracing and allowing technology into the classroom. Within that percentage, there's a really wide range of different skill levels available. So you may be an adopter of technology, but your skill set is going to be very unique from the person down the road, you know, who's been adapting and implementing technology into their lessons for years. Yeah, actually, good point. I'm thinking, oh, I yeah, I'll bring a laptop in my classroom and we'll get Google Classroom or Microsoft Classroom and it'll all be great. But you had some that were just sort of dipping their toes in and others that were, you know, all the way pedal to the metal. I want everything to be online and I want to be have everything be digital, but definitely a, a variance in those adopters. When you look at the teachers who really were the naysayers, how do you think, how well do you think they are accommodating now or how quickly do you think they have had to learn now in the situation that they're in today? I think they've adapted because of survival instincts, because there was no choice. I think on the same token, I think that many of them have also really embraced and seen what's possible with technology. And I think it may open the doors a little bit more to them incorporating more technology in the classroom in the future. So I I just think it's a a really wide range of what you're going to see out there. Like you mentioned earlier, you're going to see some that are still like technology is the devil and I don't bring it into my classroom. And others are going to say technology can solve every problem I have and everything in between. (laughs) You know, looking at a post-pandemic, we do a lot of, you know, forecasting into what the new normal might look like. And looking at teachers today that maybe were, you know, quick adopters, 100% adopters, and then the, the real naysayers, do you think that there is a place or a room for a teacher now in our new normal that won't adopt technology? Like, do you think those teachers will, and I know this is a little of a controversial question, but do you think that those teachers will be replaced by teachers who really have adopted this skill set and are ready to take on the challenges of a technology-driven learning environment compared to someone who doesn't really have an interest in using tech? In terms of replacing an existing teacher, I don't think we're going to see them, you know, firing teachers because they don't understand technology. But I do think that the new crop of teacher that are coming out, teachers that are coming out of universities and those programs, many of those programs now require certain certifications, whether it's an MIE certification or a Google certification. Many of those programs are kind of forcing those teacher candidates into becoming technology savvy. So I think as you see districts hire new teachers, I do think that that's going to be something that's going to be very important for them to look at. 
And outside of the, you know, learning how to use technology and needing to have that skill, what other skill sets do you think have really been brought to light that a teacher is going to need to have today that they didn't necessarily need to have today or yesterday um, in order to accomplish a, a distance learning environment? Is there anything that like maybe we wouldn't have thought of? I think the thing right now that teachers really are looking for, and I think what's going to be the game changer is here is there's, you know, different types of pedagogy that have been around for many years. And one of them that I'm very passionate about is blended learning. And this remote teaching situation is a perfect opportunity where districts have kind of taken a step back and looked at this program that have some have adopted more than others and are really going to find ways on how to implement a true blended learning remote teaching situation. So again, that's going to go beyond just clicking how it works, but it's really how to build your lessons instead of being a sage on the stage and let's build my lesson for 45 minute increments. It's how do I create a lesson unit that allows the students opportunity to move at their own pace, at their own pace, their own path, and also have a wide variety and opportunities to learn, whether it be from print online, videos online, or, you know, different ways for students to move about their learning. So I think you're going to see districts really looking to find that their common definition of blended learning and start to push that out with teachers. And, you know, I've been thinking a lot about how we talked about a a hybrid environment in our last episode and, you know, delivering the right technology and how we build a plan for return. And I can't help but think, you know, as we talk about reimagining a blended learning environment and a new set of, not a new set of teachers, but incoming teachers that have a, you know, they're more integrating lesson planning into their technology strategy versus trying to do it the opposite way. Do you see some sort of loosening or changing of standards for what students are required to learn, what they're tested on, what sort of skills, you know, hard or soft skills that we're teaching or, you know, educating with compared to what we did yesterday? I know this is a little bit of a a left field question, but I think about things like I was reading a an article where these outdoor schools are becoming more and more popular. Like there's one in Massachusetts that was just certified in the right before it was named a pandemic, where a lot of the skills came from figuring out how to learn outdoors and what was in nature and focusing on socializing and less of the curriculum, you know, reading, writing and arithmetic in the beginning. Do you think that this is going to open up a new phase of sort of competition for learning? that we didn't really think of yesterday, you know, with all of the new skills that are going to be required and all of the things that we're seeing now maybe weren't so important before, but now kind of are to just life in general. I do think we're going to see some of different learning uh, opportunities come out of this. I think we're going to see everything from what you've mentioned, the outdoor schools, because I've seen some states that have actually embedded curriculum into that scenario. I think we're also going to see some families that realize that this remote learning actually works better for their students than traditional in school. So I think you're going to see a wide range of that. In terms of changing standards, I don't really see this changing the standards. I think instead what's going to happen is districts have to figure out how are they going to assess that learning? How are they going to make sure that the students learned what it is that they were supposed to learn? So from a traditional, you know, public school and I have to teach the standards perspective, 
I don't see standards changing. I just see how they're going to assess learning as being the thing to change. That's a very good clarification because I I would maybe link both of those things hand in hand. But I think you say it really, really well that the the standard won't change. How we assess will likely change as a result of what we're going through. And that's an excellent point because we saw, I mean, the rise of the one-to-one device in schools was around standardized testing and assessments and things like that. And that became very uniform. It's just another evolution, which I think is super, super interesting. So uh, what would you say, you know, outside of needing to know how to operate technology, what would you say would be a couple of the the key certifications or courses that you see coming down the pike for professional development in a distance learning environment. If you were back in your old seat and you were managing instructional technology and you had to come up with a plan, what would be the the top three things that you would want to focus on first coming out of this? First thing I would focus on is making sure that teachers are comfortable troubleshooting technology Because again, when I was looking at some statistics from a survey that I believe Edweek did is 70% of teachers say they're spending the majority of their time troubleshooting technology. So what that means is students are only learning 30% of that time, if at all. So my first thing would be, let's figure out a way that we can help teachers do that more effectively and quickly, and then put a plan in place at the district level to take that task away from teachers. So that would be the first thing. The second thing that I would focus on is is competency-based professional development that's really focused on specific content areas and tasks, such as how do I help my students uh, communicate more effectively with me online? How do I still show students how to collaborate with each other and myself when they're not with me in the classroom? It's all of those different things put together is the other thing that teachers are going to really need support with. And the end is just making sure, again, that teachers understand that technology can be very impactful, but students don't really understand how to learn with technology. They really know how to YouTube really funny cat videos or look at a TikTok video, (laughs) but they really don't understand how do I, if I'm struggling with a concept, how do I make it my, take responsibility for my own learning and research that with technology? And that's the piece that they don't understand. Mm -hmm. Kids tend to believe everything they read online. So there has to be professional development and lessons provided to teachers with how to teach their kids how to navigate the internet and get accurate information. Excellent point. When you're in a classroom and you don't understand a concept, you can raise your hand, you can be walked through it, you can figure it out. And then I even look in my, you know, my corporate life. If you don't know the answer to a question, someone says, Google it. And we Google it and we find an answer and, and us, most of us as adults can kind of weed through and go, okay, that's how I do X, Y, and Z or no. But from a student perspective, like you're saying, they don't have the necessarily the the skill set yet or the wherewithal to say, oh no, that's not actually what that means. This is what I need to do. And that can actually be more frustrating for a student to either keep getting it wrong, thinking that they're getting it right, or just have misleading information and kind of feel like they're floating out there without any any help. And that would be one thing I'd never think of is how to equip a teacher to be able to help a student troubleshoot and find information and the right information. So excellent point there. Yeah, the goal ultimately is we don't want to graduate groups of students who know how to Google really well. Right. We want to graduate groups of students who know how to solve problems that 
the answers don't yet exist on Google. Right. So that's the difference. <laughs> and that that's, that's a challenge. That is a challenge. Yeah. And that's, you know, I think that's what sort of what I was thinking from a curriculum point of view when we look at how things might change is, you know, do we, and this is coming from a place of, you know, I've been out of high school for a very long time. And before that K through 12, I was out not you know, it's been a long time, Pam, since I've been in school. So I very vaguely remember I, we didn't have really a, I don't even think we had a computer yet when I was in high school. But, you know, is there an opportunity here that we start thinking more, you know, cognitive skills or, um, you know, life skills as part of our curriculum? And maybe this is happening in some places, but does this become more broad based that it's not just, you know, do this math exam, do this social studies or histories exam or project. It's actually, you know, here's how to equip you with the tools to be a member of society and self-sufficient and things like that. And it's funny, I was just having a conversation with our two MIEs today, uh, Cindy, Nicole, and we were talking about about that in particular because uh, we're looking at the ISTE standards for students. So the ISTE standards really break down student competencies in terms of things like a knowledge constructor. They need to be a computational thinker. Um, so those kinds of things are where those competencies really fall in for students. So that's the ultimate goal. Again, we want to create a generation of thinkers and problem solvers. And anybody can Google, but it's it's everybody else that who puts that content into Google and who creates it. So that was always one of my challenges. I would tell them the function of something that they had to build, but I never told them what the actual word was because the minute I told them they had to build something and gave them the word, they'd go and Google it and duplicate (laughs) the image they found online. So it's about helping your students really think through things. Yeah. And I, I mean, that sounds like it's part of general, you know, teacher building skills. And now it's, you know, how do we apply those skills in a hybrid environment or 100% online environment? Because like you're saying, that Google machine is always right there. And while it's so helpful, sometimes it's distraction uh, other times or misleading at other times. Part of this whole series has been around leveraging the CARES Act in uh, K through 12. And professional development, I know, is a huge part of this. And there is is uh, ways that schools can leverage uh, the CARES Act for professional development funding. What are some of the the key takeaways from the CARES Act that you would suggest schools really look into to build a professional development plan for the new normal? I think schools need to make sure that they have a rigorous professional development plan that is flexible for teachers, knowing how much time teachers are spending talking to students right now and how much time they have to create these new types of lesson plans as well as take on their own learning. I think they need to be mindful and create a a rigorous plan that gives teachers choice of what they need to learn based on their own skill assessments. I think they need to provide a plan that's flexible and they need to have a plan that provides additional supports you know, who can they contact, you know, whether it's a professional learning group that they create based on what it is they need. You know, ultimately, it's all going to start with a needs assessment and just knowing what their teachers need and then giving choice to teachers, just like they would want to ultimately give choice to students on how they learn and what they need to learn. So we've been talking about the survey game in all of these episodes, and it sounds like this is another area that schools are going to have to really 
be getting the information back from their teachers today? How is it working? What have your problems been? What's your area of focus? What are your suggestions? Something that's so exciting to me in this new normal world is the amount of input every stakeholder is having in new decisions. Everyone used to be able to give their two cents and things, but maybe it was disregarded or not brought into the solution. And I think now everyone's getting a voice that maybe they didn't have before. So I think it's a great opportunity for schools to really, and teachers, some teachers are probably really excited about this, aren't they? Like to be able to forge into, you look excited and and you're not even in the teaching game anymore. (laughs) Well, just, just knowing that there's legislation out there that mentions device and professional development in the same sentence is pretty powerful. Mm. You know, the most successful remote learning programs or, you know, instructional technology implementations in general are all based on a foundation of successful professional development, not just for teachers, but administrators to understand expectations for teachers as they learn technology, but also, you know, communication with parents, you know, bringing them in and involving them and letting them know we're all learning through this together. So every successful program has professional development built as the foundation. And I, I think that's a great place for us to wrap here is this is our, our third episode in the series. And while we're ending with professional development, Pam makes a very good point. You know, we talked about building a plan to return that can be flexible. And we'd focus really on the, the devices and the technology. We talked about having accessibility and equality for students and their learning challenges. And then really, before you even get into those two things, Pam, it sounds like the foundation, like you say, is professional development. How are we going to equip our teachers to make sure that they can leverage the technology and make sure that they can deliver a good learning environment for students, regardless of what their abilities or at-risk situation is? So if you are uh, listening today, it's uh, definitely take Pam's advice and let's dig into this professional development. Like she said, this is a unique opportunity where devices and professional development are uh, listed in the same piece of legislation. And that is a a huge opportunity for K through 12. Pam, I really enjoyed having you uh, join us for this series. I hope you, I know you will come back as we continue to see the K-12 landscape evolve. But I think as a whole, the tips that you've given, the advice that you've shared from your own experience on how schools can leverage the CARES Act to help fund some K through 12 initiatives as part of our new normal are going to be really well received and uh, appreciate your time here with us today on the podcast. Thank you so much. It was an honor to be here. Thank you. Have a great day. 